everyone, it's Simon here. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. And uh, we had online church this week, and we had our first ever international guest. Wow. Uh, Pastor Dan Broder, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Maria and I have known Dan and his wife, Reagan, for a number of years. They pastor an amazing church over there in Phoenix and an awesome youth outreach center called the Refuge Youth Center. Uh, We've been over there a couple of times. It's awesome. And you're just going to love Dan. He's real, like... He would fit into everyone church so well. We have such similar DNA, uh, and we are just so grateful that he would join us today. If you are visiting or just checking us out, make sure you check our website for all upcoming events and gatherings. We hope to meet you in person sometime, but without any further delay, let's get to Dan. Hey, guys. How are you doing all the way uh, out there in Australia? And I wanted to say... Hello, greetings all the way from here in Arizona. And so uh, it's a beautiful 40 degrees out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I am just absolutely honored to be able to come and share a word with you guys today. It's an honor every time I get to share God's word, but uh, even more so when it's a good friend and somebody that you have such great deal of respect for who asks you to. And so I'm honored. Thank you so much, Simon and Maria. And uh, we are just uh, honored and privileged to count you as friends. We're so excited about this new adventure that you guys have been on. And you're perfectly equipped and called by God to pastor. And uh, the people that are part of that church are blessed to have you. And uh, we're blessed to be a part of it. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, my name is Dan and my lovely wife, who I've been married to for 22 years. Her name is Reagan. And we met Simon and Maria in 2016 at the Missions Conference, and it has been a whirlwind ever since. And so we're honored to be a part of this and and to bring the Word of God to you guys this morning. And so uh, it's grateful. I I want to uh, to bring a message that I've entitled, When Love Leads. And um, I want to just tell you a little bit about us uh, briefly and, and then get right into it. My wife and I met when we were 13 years old and she was 12 I was 13 and we were best friends for quite a few years until we started dating and uh, through high school I became born again late into grade uh, in year 11 and uh, radically changed my life I had been struggling with an addiction to methamphetamines at the time and uh, totally committed my life to Christ and being a year older than uh, Reagan at the time, uh, well, we're still a year older, but, but at the time, um, I graduated. Uh, and so I left to go into a discipleship program and, uh, that discipleship program God used to, to radically change the course of my life. Uh, so if there were a few years in there where we were not together, she lived in a different part of the state and I was doing, uh, youth evangelism, traveling around the country as well as the world, uh, with an organization, a discipleship program that I'd been a part of. And I was incredibly blessed by that. And, and God used it immensely to change my life. When she then moved to Phoenix, uh, we started dating again and pretty in pretty short order got married and have been married 22 years. Uh, we were youth pastors for nearly 10 years at uh, the a church here in Scottsdale until God called us to step out and start a youth church in the same city in Phoenix, uh, not too far from Scottsdale. And we've been doing that for 12 years. It's only been since coming to Australia. Um, 
uh, that God has kind of shifted our hearts and really caused us to embrace the his last command is our first priority theme of we want to make sure that our faith and our walk with the Lord and our ministry are all heavily involved in propelling God's passion, his real purpose, his purpose for sending his son and his purpose in our lives, which is to reach the lost. And so that has changed us forever. In fact, I was tempted to title this sermon this morning and preach on how Australia ruined my life, um, but just in jest, but to talk about how, uh, what God used uh, Australia and, and that conference to teach us how it has radically changed us forever. And, and so I just felt the Lord leading us in a different direction. And so I'm gonna share that this morning. And, um, and hopefully I'll be able to do it in that 20 minute time frame uh, over here. I'm famous for preaching very long winded sermons. I will do my best absolutely to, uh, to not do that here this morning. Although this is online, you're at home, you're comfortable, right? Drinking your coffee and uh, hopefully sitting there with your word and uh, you're ready to go. Amen. So uh, thank you guys so much. I'm going to start reading uh, in Colossians 3, and then we'll pray. Uh, this morning, I will be reading two excerpts, pretty long passages. I apologize for that. It's not normal, but for the sake of uh, the message, I, I felt led to do so. Colossians chapter 3, which is and has been my favorite uh, chapter in all the New Testament, probably for 25 years. Since you became alive again, so to speak, when Christ arose from the dead, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven, where he sits beside God in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our real life, comes back, you will shine with him and share in all his glory. Away then with sinful earthly desires, deaden the evil desires lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity and lust and shameful desires. Don't worship the good things of life for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger is upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to cast off, throw away all these rotten garments of anger, hatred, cursing and dirty language. Don't tell lies to each other. It was your old life with all its wickedness that did that sort of thing. Now that is dead and gone. You are living a brand new kind of life that is continually learning more and more of what is right and trying constantly to be more and more like Christ who created this new life within you. In this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters, and he is equally available to all. Since you have been chosen by God who has given you this new kind of life, and because of his deep love and concern for you, you should practice tender-hearted mercy and kindness to others. Don't worry about making a good impression on them, but be ready to suffer quietly and patiently. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 14. Most of all, let love guide your life. For then the whole church will stay together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of heart that comes from Christ be always present in your hearts and lives. For this is your responsibility and privilege as members of the body. And always be thankful. Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other and sing them out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. 
And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I love this. And come with him into the presence of God the Father to give him your thanks. Heavenly Father, we ask God that you would use your word this morning to speak to us. Father God, it is not man's words or opinions that have the power to radically change us. It is your word and your word alone. So let that be what is spoken and let that be what is received in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, uh, I have a strong belief that there are two words that the first American, and maybe, maybe this modern church, but I would say, the, not the first American, the first world church, um, misquotes or, or misunderstands probably more accurately. And these two words, mind you, that the devil's plan to, uh, to attack, the devil's plan to deceive a child of God has never changed. It has never changed. It is always the same. It always starts with something that sounds like, wait, didn't God say, <laughs> right? Didn't God say? And when we misinterpret uh, specific words, important words, it's very vital to us that we uh, realize and, 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 and uh, digest the truth as it actually is rather than as we perceive it to be. And these two words are this, life and love. Life and love. Uh, the word of God reminds us that God is, Jesus has come to give us life abundantly. If we misinterpret that word life, what it is, what it means, and every time that Jesus talks about it, every time that, that the New Testament talks about it, and we misinterpret life, life is, is this, right? It's everything we get. It's how we enjoy it. It's, it's every breath that we take. That is life. It's, it's meant to be abundant and full of riches and health and if, that's, if we misinterpret that idea that that's what Jesus came to give us, boy, that could be incredibly detrimental. And the other one is love, right? And love. And I think this is probably the most commonly misunderstood and, and, and misquoted words within all of the New Testament. And this morning, I want to talk about that here. What happens when love leads? Here in Colossians, which I find to be just rich of a very pragmatic uh, ideas. And, and I, that's why I love it so much. But it's this, when love leads, he says here, most of all, let love guide you. Most translations say be clothed in love, which I do think is fitting because earlier in it, he, he talks about don't continue to wear the garment of anger and hatred and cursing and dirty language. And then of course, in Colossians 4, 3, 14, he says, uh, be clothed in love. But here he says, let love guide your life. And it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful idea and almost poetic, but it's not in this context just poetry. It is really actually pragmatic. There are real guidelines. There are real directives in, in the idea that we should let love guide our lives. And so what happens when, um, when love leads us? What happens when love leads us? First, I wanna make sure that we talk about uh, this kind of misunderstanding and uh, you know, uh, when we're talking about love, we, we hear it. It's, it's one of the most casually thrown around words all the time. Oh, I love this. I love that. And I, I want to make sure that we really take a second to consider uh, that there are two loves here, right? That we're talking about two different things. And that when we casually throw out the word love in our everyday lives, and then we turn around and we read it within scripture, that we take a moment and take a deep breath and go, okay, hold on a second. My mind needs to really, truly um, address the fact that that love is not this love. And though the English language falls short of being able to divine those two things, 
uh, we should take a moment and go, okay, we're talking about two separate things. And so um, I want us to, to consider that spectrum of use, right? So we, we, uh, we say and confess our love to our spouses to whom we devote our undying commitment unto death, do us part, et cetera, et cetera. And yet at the same time, we love our favorite sandwich, right? We love our children whom we give, uh, who we raise and share the fruit of our labor with, whom we worry about and lament. They're every, we love our children. And then we love our favorite movie. You see where I'm going? And we love this weather. We love this beach. We love, you know, we say these things and we turn around and we confess with the same word, uh, something that means so much deeper and so much richer. Like my favorite burger in the whole world that I've ever had is in Manly. It's a kangaroo burger. It's absolutely dish delicious. I get it every time I'm in Australia and I love it. Yet when I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I love you, I'm not saying the same thing. I can't be saying the same thing. And uh, so we must understand that. You know, Webster's definition of love is this. The dictionary defines love as an intense affection, a warm feeling for another, or a strong sexual de desire. When you go and, and you type this into the Google search, it says, uh, it says these things. An intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in something feeling of deep romantic or a sexual attraction to someone. That's love, according to the English uh, dictionary. Now, the Bible has a completely different definition of love, right? And so uh, we'll read that, it's the famous First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read that for you right now. Please uh, read along. If I speak with tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions to charity, if I surrender my body so that I may be glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Think about these comparisons. These contrasts are, are, are so extreme, right? If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love. If I have all faith, so as I can move mountains, but I don't have love. So if I have the faith to move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. What is this? This surely, this thing that I could possess that would discount the faith that moved mountains can't be the same thing that I confess about a burger, a movie a location, a moment in time, an experience, a memory, right? So it's really vital that that's something that we go, okay, wait a minute, we are talking about two separate things. And the love chapter goes on. This is the biblical definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. Does not, love does not keep an account of a wrong that is suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, what I, for the sake of this morning, but also I think probably uh, 
always what I believe he's meaning here in this love chapter as he defines it, right? He goes to great length to define biblical love. It is patient, it is kind, it keeps no record of wrong. It always believes, it always hopes, it always endures. This is not found in anything. I don't care what your favorite food is today. It will probably not be your favorite. What you confess you love, even your favorite movie. I love this movie, right? It won't be that moving forward. It doesn't, it doesn't endure in the same manner. But right here in verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. I believe what he's communicating is I used to love like a child. When you read those definitions, you can see how the opposite of childlike love, right? I mean, when your kid comes up to you to express, dad, you look so good today. When Elliot says, oh, dad, your hair, oh, you, you're so wonderful. Yeah, most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time when a child is adoring you with, with words, it's because they want something. This is childish love, meaning that this confession of, of earthly love, as opposed to biblical love, earthly love is all about what I get, right? I love this pizza because the way it, it, it tastes to me. I love this movie because of the, the meaning it has for me. I love this beach. I love this weather. I love this, right? And, and so when you begin to dissect that and you realize, wow, there are these two separate loves. This earthly love is like childlike love. What do I get out of this? What does it mean for me, right? Childlike love does keep a record of wrongs. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You make one mistake, break one promise, right? Childlike love is the opposite of almost everything when it comes to this concept here, right? Just this idea where we know in part, we prophesy in part, right? When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think the word of God even tells us that when we were a child, we wore what we wanted to wear and we went where we wanted to go. But when we matured, someone else dressed me and took me to places I did not wish to go. And this, this love, this biblical love that John talks about when he says God is love is completely different to the everyday uh, confession that we make, whether intentionally or unintentionally, whether serious or, or not serious love that we kind of encounter. And I think that that's where the deception comes in, where the devil comes in. Wait, doesn't God tell you it's all about love? Well, if we're defining love in a childish way, it's all about how I feel about you. It's all about what you do for me. It's all of love is a self-centered emotion. The Bible teaches us that biblical love is the exact, exact opposite of that. And uh, we understand that at the end of the love chapter, right? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So here he, he doubles down and he says, look, faith, we realize by faith men, only by faith can men be saved, right? By faith men are saved. And then it says, love is greater than that. It's faith without which we can't even please God. So the very thing is that's required to please God, which is faith, is less than love. The very thing required to be saved, less than love. Hope, the thing that gives us the power to endure, to persevere, unbelievable circumstance, less than love. I, I do, I, I do, at the risk of, of, of using a movie you don't know, but I, I'm assuming you do, The Princess Bride, I do not think this word means what we think it means, right? And uh, I think it's important for us to, to wrestle with that almost every time. 
almost every time. And so when we're considering this and we're looking at the word of God, first John, when he tells us God is love, it's not the same thing. I think that's why most of the time in older translations, like the King James, you'll see the Bible being translated where the word love is actually translated charity. Uh, because biblical love is not about the one giving it. <laughs> think about it. Biblical love is not about the one giving it. It's about the object. So charity is, I'm going to give you this because you need it. I, there's no expectation of anything other than the joy and the pleasure I get out of, of meeting that need. And that's biblical love, right? That's biblical love. And here we see this, right? So I, I, I wrote down a couple of things here that I think really matter. Biblical love is sacrificial. Jesus represents that biblical love. When God so loved the world, what does he do? He sends his son, right? And what does Jesus do because of his great love? The Bible tells us that because of the hope and the joy set before him, which at that time was the cross, which at that time was the cross, that, that Jesus had such love for us that he sacrificed his love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. So biblical love is one, sacrificial. Two, biblical love implies action, right? John 3, 18 says, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. And when we read John 3, 16, the most famous Bible verse in all the world, for God so loved the world, he took action, right? You could easily, for God so loved the world, he took action. He didn't just confess it. He didn't just post about it. He actually did something, right? But perhaps the most ignored definition of love in the Bible is this. Biblical love demands obedience. First John 5, 3 says, this is the love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever hears my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He is the one who loves me. Think about that. When Jesus seeks to restore Peter after Peter denied him three times, right? What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep, right? Do you love me? Then obey what I'm saying to you. John 13, 34, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Of course, we've been hearing this right? Here's this commandment, to love the way we were loved, to love the way that we were loved. When love leads, we make sacrifices. When love leads, we take action. When love leads, we obey God's word. When love leads, and this is so vital to us, 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another for, the, for love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of, born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. When we read this chapter here in, in, in chapter four of 1 John, we see this word love so many times. It's not talking about a squishy emotional feeling. It's talking about something powerful, something supernatural, something that is outside the realm of what man can concoct, create, conjure up whatever words you'd like to use it's eternal god's love and so when we're reading this let's love one another he's calling us to love with something we don't originally possess it's in part of us that's why he says the one who obeys me and loves others the way that he loves them 
That's the one that God dwells in. Why? Because it's impossible to love others the way God loves us without God's help in us. It's not natural to us to be sacrificial. It's not natural for us to take action where we don't have to take action. It's natural for us, fight or flight, to take action when we are in danger. It's not natural for us to take action when, when we're safe from it and, and there's others that are there. God's love is different than man's love. So when we're reading this, that by this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God has sent his only son into the world that we may live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God remains in us. We think about that, right? God remains in us if we love one another. Not squishy. Oh, it's great to see you. No, no, there's such a movement. And I don't know about in Australia, but here in America, there's such a movement to be so self uh centered, so self-care, so self-concerned. And there are these, these, these cliches that are becoming these, these uh, posts that are becoming almost religious, like where people are just clinging to them going, oh, and it's all about me. That's not biblical love, right? God imparts to us a supernatural kind of love that allows us and empowers us, one, with a heart to love like he loves. That's unnatural, to love like he loves, but also empowers us to be sacrificial, to lay down our life. Sometimes we're laying down the quality of our life. Sometimes we're laying down the benefit of our life, the privilege of our life for others. And, and it, it empowers us to take action and it empowers, empowers us to obey God's word. And that requires our ability to trust in him when we don't see how he's going to resolve these things. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think missions is, is if not the premium and, and the priority in which we do love, right? To go or to send, but it gives us a very tangible, a very honest, but most importantly, a very divine way to love, right? By, by sending the gospel to places who have not yet received it, by telling the gospel to people who have not yet heard it, and by doing so in a loving and sacrificial way. Why? When it comes to obeying, because he asks us to. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them. Now look, in times like these, especially right now with the, the coming out of this pandemic and people, it's not as easy to move freely throughout the world. Well, we might not all be able to go, but we can all we can all send and we can all empower those that are already there by way of making sacrificial giving, right? By, by laying down maybe some of the things we've earned, maybe some of the things we have wanted and say, you know what? Right now, that's not as important as this. So I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, right? I'm gonna make a sacrifice and I'm gonna give to this great thing because they deserve what I have seen, what I have received. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died for everyone because he died for everyone, the Bible tells us his love compels us. Think about it. His love compels us. And aren't we glad that his love compelled someone else to tell us? Aren't we glad that his love over the centuries has compelled believers for thousands of years to take this hope to the edges of the earth? And it's time for us to take more seriously that calling and that purpose and it is to that cause that I share this this morning. When love leads, I think more important, the most important question for, 
for us at this time is not just to say when love leads, it's to say which love, love is leading. Which love is leading me? Is it my childish love that's, that's thinking about me and the impact and the effect all this has on me? Or is it this divine love that never thinks about me, but thinks about the one whom I'm pursuing, the one whom God is calling me to, right? That biblical love that will empower me to sacrifice, that biblical love that will empower me to take action, that biblical love that will empower me to obey when God's word speaks, right? That's what we have access to, and that's what happens. And when love leads, lives are changed. When love leads, souls are saved. And uh, I pray and I hope that the whole church grows more and more and more in love, even the childish love, you know, that squishy, affectionate, popular thing, grows more in love with biblical love, right? That sacrificial, take action, obey God because he's God. I hope that becomes more popular. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this moment. I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you continue to do in our lives. I rejoice, Father God, that, that there was a moment in each of our lives in which we came to that revelation that you, you were the propitiation for our sins. You bore my punishment and my shame, and you did so because you loved me. You didn't just save me, and you weren't just grateful for now, that now my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. No, God. You have a plan and a purpose for me. I get to be a part of what you're doing on the face of the earth, which is reaching the lost. So use us, God, to the ends of the earth till all have heard in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope to see you soon. Maybe meet you in person. Have a great day. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan Brodeur, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. So grateful that you would take the time to impart into our church. And the thing I love about Dan and Reagan is they very much could be part of our church. They carry that same DNA of bringing Jesus to everyone everywhere. That message wasn't a little cushy consumer, comfortable uh, message. No, no. Let's let love lead the way. Come on, let love, let God define love. Not worldly define love, but God define love. Let it lead the way this week as you uh, hang out with your family as you go to work. Whatever it is you're doing, come on, let's let love lead the way. The world needs real love, God kind of love, sacrificial love. Come on, and I feel like Dan turned our whole Sunday service into an everyone Sunday, which I'm I'm down with that. I'm all good with that. Hey, hope you can join us next week for in-person church. Come on, bring the family, bring the friends, invite some neighbors. Let's keep the uh, uh, the new person streak alive. Come on, w uh, wouldn't that be awesome? And I hope you can join us. Come early for coffee, uh, and let's come expectant for an amazing time together as we gather in God's house. Hope you have a blessed week and thanks for joining us today.